the story. The opposing armies fought each other and killed each other. All that to say and introduce the first song, Unstoppable God. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too big, even COVID. So as we sing, let COVID die and let God live. Ha! <laughs> I love you all. Let's worship together.
Jesus for this time together. Lord, you do deserve the glory and all the honor and all the praise. 
And we stand in this place from where we came this week and all of the stuff that's going on during this crazy season of life. For all the souls that are searching for you, God, may they just find you today. For all the people who are suffering from what's going on around them, Lord, let them see that you are the light shining in the darkness. For all the people who need to feel the great physician's touch this day, we pray this in Jesus' name that it comes. Now may you fill this place, the airwaves, with your glory. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated if you're here. And if you're at home standing, please be seated. My name is Bill Nelson. I'm uh, one of the elders here at the church, but I also am the executive director for a group called Fresh Beginnings Ministries. Used to be before COVID, Fresh Beginnings Ministries was helping 200 families a month, and now we're helping 1,000 families a month. It's kind of crazy. I told God I wanted to help 100 people, and he does his math and mine don't match. But anyway, here's the deal. For Thanksgiving, we're going, we've been asked to help 1,000 families have frozen turkeys with a box to make all the stuff to make that happen, plus a few extra meals. So it costs $20 for a turkey, and it's $20 for the box of food. So for $40, you can provide about 60 meals for a family. We're asking now that if you are willing to to do that online, if you go to www.freshbeginningsministries.com, you have to put all the S's in there to make it work. And you can go on there. Like, so if you're online and that's the way you want to help us, then please do so. If you're in this building today, Jackie Cress, Jackie, wave your hand. There's Jackie right there. She'll be in the back and be able to, um, to accept any donations you have. This will be, without a doubt, the most families that Fresh Beginnings has ever helped in one event. We do that a lot, but this year, it's, it, this is up to God. I, our pastor preaches all the time, if there's something you can do that you can do, then it's not of God. But if it's something you can't do and the Lord has to show his glory, then it's of him. So we're just asking and, and laying it down at the cross and saying, Lord, if you want us to do this, it's all in your hands. And now I'd love to bring up my bro beloved brother. And yes, we've removed all the ladders out of the facility. told in no uncertain terms from uh, one of our resident painters, hey, Eric, the, the top of the ladder is called the not a step. Please don't stand on that. That's just not wise. Uh, and then we're walking home, and this is just telling on myself. We're walking home, and I, and I recall very vividly my son Ethan sitting over here when I'm standing like on the top of the ladder like I'm Mr. Miyagi last week. I look over, and he's got the cell phone pointed up at me, and I'm like, oh, he's totally waiting for me to fall. So we're walking home, and I go, so Ethan... Were you hoping your dad would fall? He's like, no. I was scared you were going to fall. In fact, I was Googling how many people fall from ladders every year. And they said that, what was it? Yeah, so 163,000 people every year go to an emergency room because of falling off of ladders and 300 deaths. So, Ethan, I'm sorry for modeling poorly for you at church. I will, try, I will endeavor not to do so anymore. <sighs> Life has a way of humbling you, doesn't it? I, I always, yeah, I, I actually remember a couple of years ago, I was walking through Costco, and I had my turkey, or my, my chicken, you know, like half eaten by the time I get to the, the counter, and as I'm walking out, I see that there's an optometrist at the back uh, of, of Costco, and has anybody ever visited the Costco optometrist besides me? Yeah, I totally, I'm like, you know what, I just turned 40, I'm going to go check it out. So I go in there with my fingers still like sticky from all of the, the, the chicken that I've been eating, and I sit down in, in the seat, and the lady 
turns off the lights and she projects a picture up on the wall and then she puts this big apparatus in front of me. And over the next 10, 15 minutes, she starts sticking different lenses in front of my eyes. And some of those lenses further obscured the otherwise blurry picture for me. Some of them, however, brought it into absolute clarity where I could begin to realize what it was as opposed to just being this like messy, you know, impressionist painting. And I realized that day that a, a lens can make a really, really big difference in how we view the world. And I've been thinking about that because I don't think that there's a time in our lives where we need a new lens, a new perspective on life than we do right now as we are just days away from the end of this very, very contentious election. I thought 2016 was bad, guys. Uh, it, it doesn't hold a candle to how contentious uh, 2020 has been. It's been painful to watch as a pastor. Painful to watch as people who love one another tear one another apart as neighbors will literally steal signs off of one another's front porches, as family members have basically said, we can't talk again until Thanksgiving because we just can't agree on anything, as I've watched people on social media who would otherwise consider themselves friends rip one another apart. And as I look across our country where demonstrations and counter-demonstrations result in physical violence, even resulting in people losing their lives, and I cannot underestimate, or I don't want to downplay how much I have grieved this whole cycle. And so if there's ever a time that we need a new perspective on what's going on in our country, and let me just state this up front, I am not going to get in any way political in telling you who to vote for. That's not my position, it is not my place, I will not do it. But we desperately need fresh perspective on what's going on. And typically where we look for our perspective on the election, one of two places, either the news, looking to political pundits to tell us uh, who to vote for, or how to vote, or what's going on in our world to make sense of the craziness, or to social media. And increasingly in, years, in, in the last like, couple of decades, social media has played an excised role in shaping our perception of the world. And anybody who has not yet seen The Social Dilemma, I cannot strongly encourage you enough to watch that video on, on Netflix because it is eye-opening how much our perspective is shaped by the algorithm and social media. Here's what I've found. When I look to political pundits and social media posts to determine my perspective of the world, I come away feeling more discouraged, more angry, and more afraid than before. And I just think that we need a different set of lenses than those. And so today what I want to do is I want to lean into what I would say is perhaps the single best lens we can look at the world through. And that would be the Word of God. Because kingdoms rise and fall. Leaders come and go. And this God-breathed word that was given to us thousands of years ago continues to be so utterly relevant and so helpful for making sense of a world that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so this morning, we are going to look for a few different lenses to help give us some clarity on this election and its aftermath, but we're going to do so through the Bible. 
And we're going to start right where we ended last week, and that's in the book of Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, turn with me there, even if it's on your phone, Ethan. Thankfully, you don't have a phone. I'm glad. Good reminder. Not a problem. We're such good parents, even though you don't think so. All right. So we're going we're gonna to look for our first lens, right where we dropped off the conversation last week. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes this to believers living in the city of Philippi, a city that is very Roman in every way. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many, many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. They are headed for absolute destruction. Their God is their stomach. That's who they look to for direction. And their glory is in their shame. The very things that they should be ashamed of, they point to and say, this is what defines me. This is what makes me special. Their mind is on earthly things. But, and here's here's where we're going to find our lens in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So lens number one, to give us some perspective on this election, is this. Although we may reside in America... This is not our home. We are citizens of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. All right? Paul is making this point, not just here, but throughout his letter to the Philippians. He's reminding them in this letter and other letters that as Christ followers, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And that means that God's values should shape our values. But here's the funny thing. Like the, for the Philippian believers, they lived in a kingdom that was very obvious. Rome was in charge. Even though they were kind of in, the, in this area that was removed from Italy, Rome still hold, held sway. It still had a powerful influence. And what Paul is saying to them is, even though you reside in the empire of Rome, your primary allegiance should not be to the Roman Empire or to the Roman emperor. Your primary allegiance should be to the kingdom of God and to your Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say the same thing to us as men and women who most of whom have been born into the empire that is America, some of whom have come here later on in life and become citizens. And can I just say right now, I am so utterly grateful that we were. We're blessed to live here. This is an unbelievable country to be a part of. We have unbelievable freedoms that many people around the world do not have. Those freedoms were not free. Many of you fought and bled for those freedoms, and we're grateful for them. In no way do I want to downplay the gift that is being able to be a part of the United States of America, even when we feel so utterly divided. But what Paul would say to us 
is that although you are citizens of America, you are not primarily citizens of America who happen to be Christian. That's not your primary allegiance is to America. You are Christians, Christ followers, who happen to live in America, and you need to begin to live accordingly. Because this is going to change our perspective on everything in life. If you view yourself primarily as a citizen of America, who happens to be a Christian, then your primary Focus will be your freedoms and the freedoms that the Constitution affords us. Your primary fixation will be upon your, your right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Which can often conflict with the values of the kingdom of God. If we begin to look at ourselves primarily as citizens of God's kingdom who happen to live in America, that changes everything because we begin to realize that we're no longer our own. We're bought at a price. We are not free men and women who can live any way we want and speak any way that we want and pursue anything that we want because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to another a Lord who sacrificed his life so that we can live for him and be about his business. And that changes everything. So I have a couple of questions. Because I would imagine there are some of us who are going, well, yeah, I know I'm a Christ follower who happens to live in America. I feel the same way. And yet these questions drill me right between the heads. So let me just throw out a couple of questions. You don't have to answer them. These are rhetorical. I just want you to think about them. Do you look to a candidate or to a political party as the solution to the issues that we face? Have you been? Have you been spending more time reading articles, watching news stories, and browsing your social media feed than you do connecting with God and meditating on his word? Guilty. Um, do you willingly pay taxes but resist giving anything to God, right? God, I'm already strapped as it is. This one's going to hurt. Are you more outspoken about your political perspective than you are your faith? Now, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm friends with many of you on social media, and I see how outspoken you have been about your political perspectives. All I got to say is I hope that you will be as outspoken about your faith in Jesus Christ when this is all done, okay? Are we having fun yet? Yeah, all right, let's keep going. Got a couple more. Um, are you more concerned with the shifting morality of our nation than you are at looking into your own heart and recognizing the ways that you have resisted submitting to God? You know, one of the ways that I have just been drilled between the heads uh, as, as we've been in this election cycle is the realization that people are really excited for a savior when they think he's going to fix all the problems with the world around them. But we become so utterly resistant to a savior who wants to start first by looking at our heart. We're like, yes, point out all of the specks of dust in other people's eyes, but don't pay any attention to this log in my own. I have no interest in you do. I'm good. We're good. We're happy. Leave me alone, right? There's a reason 
why the crowds celebrated as Jesus rode his donkey into Jerusalem. And they're singing, Hosanna, save us! Because they fully anticipated that Jesus, their king, was going to come and clean out Herod's palace. They were very upset when he turned instead and went into the temple and began to clean out their own skeletons in their own religious closet. We like saviors who fix people out there. We don't like saviors who challenge our own hearts. Maybe that's just me. Last question. Are you more patriotic for America than you are for Jesus? Because the first thing we need to remember as we approach this election, and we, the first thing we need to remember as we begin to think about what makes me me is that we are not primarily citizens of America. Our values are not primarily shaped by the society around us, or at least should not be. If we have said yes to Jesus, then we have a new identity and new citizenship. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And no politician, no political party will ever be able to save us. Ever. Only Jesus can. And this one's not going to be very popular, but so be it. America is not the hope for the world. Jesus and the kingdom that he is ushering in through men and women who say, your will be done in my life just as it is in heaven. I submit the way that I treat my spouse, my kids, my neighbors, at work, at school, people like that who say, I'm willing to allow your values to shape my values. That is, how he, that is the hope of the world. The kingdom of God, not the kingdom of America. Because if we forget that, if we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start putting it to a political party, we start putting it into um, our ability to kind of make a career and all of those kind of things, if we put it onto anything other than Jesus, then what we are going to find is that we are going to fall into the same trap that the Jews of Jesus' day fell into. You see, they were fully anticipating a Savior as well. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years for the Messiah, God's anointed Redeemer, to show up. They desperately wanted a Savior. And yet, what they were looking for was so utterly shaped by the society around them, a society that said things like might makes right, and we advance over the bleeding corpses of our enemies, or compromise is acceptable so long as the ends justify the, the, the means, that when Jesus showed up and he began to go into the temple and upturn the tables and drive out the moneylenders, they rejected him because he didn't look anything like the kind of conquering king that they anticipated. He he didn't look anything like what they expected. He didn't look anything like the kind of kings that they were used to seeing. So he couldn't possibly be their king. And what's worse is that as people began to clamor for him and began to whisper, maybe he's our king, they realized that if Rome even caught wind of the fact that they were saying these things, Rome would 
put the hammer down on not just Jesus and his disciples, but all of the Jews. And for the Pharisees, that was, that was dangerous. Because for the Pharisees, they realized that their, their grasp on what little political power and influence that they had was on the line. We cannot let go of this. And since Jesus doesn't look anything like the kind of Savior we've been anticipating, because we don't think that this carpenter can kick, you know, Caesar Augustus out of Rome. We don't think he can even get rid of Herod or Pontius Pilate. So instead, what do they do? They compromised. And they threw him to the wolves. They said, crucify him. He's not our king. And by embracing the political power brokers of their day, namely Rome, they completely missed their king. And we run the risk of missing him as well when we fix our eyes on a political party or on the pursuit of political power and influence at the expense of our own witness. We've been doing that a lot, guys. We have been so tremendously vocal for momentary political issues at the expense of loving our neighbor, turning the other cheek, and all those other kind of things. So this brings us to our, our, our second perspective shift. You see, not only are we not just citizens of the kingdom of America, we're citizens of the kingdom of God, but that does not give us the right to turn a blind eye and live any way that we want. Because although we are simply temporary residents, we still have a responsibility to act as God's representatives. Let me say that again. Although we are temporary residents, we still have a responsibility to act as God's representatives in this world. This is why Paul spends an inordinate amount of time in the letter to the Philippians exhorting them about the way that they live. Paul goes, listen, you guys, it matters how you live. It's not because I want to be comfortable and safe. Remember where Paul was writing from. He was in prison awaiting a trial that could easily result in his execution. And he's writing to other men and women who are surrounded by people who are persecuting them. And he says, guys, regardless of what happens to me, continue to live out your faith. In fact, live in such a way that it is worthy of the gospel of Christ because people are watching your life. Do not live the way that the world around you lives. Don't let the world's values shape your values. Don't be like them. Don't be driven by selfish ambition and vain conceit. I mean it when I say you should actually put others ahead of yourself. Because our example is not those who have climbed to the top of the heap over the, the scratched and bleeding backs of those that they have beaten down and browbeaten. No. Our example is Jesus. He set an example for us in how we should live. And although he was God in human flesh, he didn't use that to his own advantage. He took what power and privilege he had and used it to raise others up, not push them down so he somehow looked better. 
And you too should not look to raise yourself up at the expense of other people, but use what power and privilege that you have to raise others up. If you have a voice, speak up for the voiceless. If you have the ability to to work, then care for those who don't have work right now. If you have a roof over your head and extra food at your table, how can you invite someone in? Don't just look to your own needs, but the needs of others. Another passage we're going to look at this morning is found in 1 Peter. So if you'd like to turn there with me, I encourage you to do that to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because Jesus is one of Jesus' closest disciples, the one I identify with the most, not because he was the most awesome, but because he screwed up the most, a guy named Peter, a kindred spirit of mine. He writes this in, in 1 Peter, which is really close to the book of Revelation. So if you hit the end of the Bible, turn left a little bit, fast, past 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and you'll find 1st and 2nd Peter. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. He writes something very similar to men and women, Jews at this point, who are scattered all over the Roman world. He writes this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, people who are living in a land that is not yours, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the unbelieving world that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see the way you live. They'll see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day he visits us because they will ultimately call him God. Your life is to be a beacon. Live differently. Even if it's, it looks ridiculous, even if people mock you, live Not according to the values of the world around you. Live according to the values of your king and the kingdom of which you are a part of. In other words, how we live matters. And not just just where we shop. Not just the kind of car we drive. Not just the kind of career we choose. Not just the kind of things we vote for. But how you treat other people, particularly people who disagree with you, how you treat people who vote very differently than you speaks volumes. Because as we've often said, our actions speak way louder than our words. So how you live matters. How you treat um, your neighbor who has a sign in their front yard that declares things that they stand for that are very different from the things that you stand for. How you treat them matters more than how you vote, I would suggest. How you respond. It's not just the, 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 the nice verse that you post on your social media account that matters. What matters more is how you respond to the person who, like a troll, just puts you down for having posted it. How you respond matters more than what you initially posted. Because our actions speak louder than our words and people are watching our lives. What are your lives declaring to the world around us? I mean, we can claim that we love Jesus all day long. But if we treat people with contempt, there's no question that it's going to change the way that people see us and view us and interact with us. 
The kingdom that we are a part of, the kingdom of God, has values that are so radically different from the world around us. The world around us says win at all costs. Compromise if you have to. Say one thing when you mean another thing. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And don't seek your own good. Seek the good of others. The world would say when somebody curses you, curse them back. When somebody mocks you, mock them back. When somebody slaps you, slap them back harder so that they won't do it again. That's the world, Ethan, not your dad and not Jesus. Jesus would say, when somebody mocks you, do not speak ill of them. When somebody curses you, speak blessing. When somebody persecutes you, pray for them. And when somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek, meaning do not respond with anger for anger, tit for tat. That's not the kind of people we are called to be. When Jesus hung on the cross and people mocked him and said, you said that you could save us all, save yourself. You know what he said? Remember what he said? God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's radically different from the, how the world operates. That's radically different from how our own leaders in America operate. And quite honestly, we need to get back to that. And if we can't look to them to lead the way, then perhaps we need to start leading the way in the way that we respond to people that we disagree with. Paul goes on, I'm sorry, not Paul, but Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, goes on. After saying, live such good lives amongst the unbelieving world that although they accuse you of being small-minded and bigoted and ridiculous and using Jesus as a crutch, they will see the way that your life is different and they'll glorify God. And on the heels of that, he then turns to them and says, now submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or we might say to the president as the supreme authority, or to the governors over our state who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. But wait a minute, that's not my president. That's not my governor. Yeah, but we don't submit ourselves to that individual because they are worthy. We don't submit ourselves to that individual because we agree with everything that they stand for, their political stance. We submit ourselves for the Lord's sake for the sake of our witness as ambassadors of the kingdom of God living in a land that is not our own. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You don't have to be a slave to your, your flesh any longer. You don't have to be a slave to sin and guilt and shame that causes us to run into hiding. You're free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. There's that word doulos that we talked about earlier in the Philippians conversation. Live as slaves, bond servants of God who say, God, it's not my will that I want to be done, it's yours. I want to be your servant, your slave that does what you want so that your will is carried out. So he says again, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Remember, 
fearing God isn't being terrified of him. It's ordering our life around him because he's God and we're not. So his way matters. We, we ultimately submit to him and order our lives around him rather than demanding that he do what we want. That's the fear of God. And that's why the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear God and honor the emperor or the president, even if you didn't vote for him. Or the governor, even if you don't agree with him. Because we're not doing it for their sake. We're doing it for the sake of our witness. We are doing it as an act of worship to our Lord. Are we having fun yet? One, one, one other thing before we move on to the last lens, and that's this, and this is really important, so I hope that you hear this. Here, or if you're at home and you just went to, to go get a snack, I hope you're paying attention or that you back up and hear this. Between now and Tuesday, you have the ability to vote. You have a responsibility to do that. You have a responsibility as a person who lives in America, if you have the right to vote, then you need to vote. Because to not vote would be tantamount to the person who is entrusted with a talent. Instead of investing it, he goes off and he buries it. You've been entrusted with this ability to vote, so use it. Let your voice be heard. But do not for a moment buy into the belief that that vote is the only say in the kind of world or the kind of country that we live in. Because we only get to vote once every couple of years. But we get to vote with our actions every single day for the kind of place we want to live in, for the kind of neighborhoods we want to be in. We vote through the way we treat our neighbors. We vote through the way that we treat our children and how we train them up to interact with other people. We vote through the way we drive, even in traffic. We vote through the way that we invest our time and our treasures and our talents. Some of us don't have a whole lot of treasures, but our time and our, and our abilities are much greater investment. And we have more of that. We vote through the way that we interact with people on social media. And if you don't trust yourself to be kind there, then you probably shouldn't go there. Because there's some of us who have not been representing the heart of Jesus very well, even though we claim the heart of Jesus, okay? So vote before Tuesday in this election. And vote today for the kind of world you want to live in through your actions. And on Monday, vote for the kind of world you want to live in. And on Tuesday, vote for the kind of world you want to live in. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and so on and so forth until Jesus comes back. Vote for the kind of world you want to live in through the way you treat others. Fair point? Okay. <laughs> I love the words, uh, words of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, not Jeremiah 29, 11, but a little bit before that. Ver Jeremiah 29, verse 7, he says this, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city into which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and the prosperity of Costa Mesa. Seek the peace and the prosperity of Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, Santa Ana, Friday Harbor, uh, Houston, Texas. God still smiles upon you even though you, your baseball team sucks. Um, <laughs> I don't have a dog in this fight, but honestly, the Dodgers won. That was pretty fun to watch. Greg Barone, I'm talking to you. 
Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city into which God has called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. i got to redeem myself here. Holy moly. Pray to the Lord for it. I'm just totally breaking my own rules. Thankfully, God uses imperfect people, right? Otherwise, there would be no hope for any of us. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. His point is that we cannot simply become so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good. We are called to be his representatives, his ambassadors here on this planet to, to carry out, to bring about his will. The kingdom of God advances through imperfect vessels like you and me in the way that we treat one another. And this brings us to the final lens that we're going to look at today. And this is a really, really important one as it pertains to this election. And that's this. Regardless of who wins, it's always about winning with us Americans, isn't it? Regardless of who wins, God is still in control. Regardless of who come 2021, regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, regardless of what party holds the most power in the House of Representatives and the Senate, regardless of which of the measures pass, regardless of who sits in the, the you know, government here in Costa Mesa, God is still in control. I love this verse taken from um, Proverbs 16.33. Can we throw it up there for a moment? This is taken from the message. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this. He says, make your motions and cast your vote. But God has the final say. Make your motions, cast your vote. But God is ultimately the one who will determine the outcome. We as Americans buy into the erroneous belief that we are in control. We love being in control. We will do everything we can to be in control. And in those areas that we're not fully in control, we have insurance to back us up. Right? The reason that this election matters so much to many of us is because we believe that if our person... Our party can somehow wrest control from the other party and the other person vying for that place. Our will will be done. But Jesus and God remind us over and again that although we like to try to plan our path, it's ultimately the Lord that directs our steps, and we need to remember that. God is in control. And we might be wringing our hands Many of us are. Many of us will go home today and go to our favorite website that only says good things about our candidate and says bad things about the other candidate, and we will be fed a steady diet of things that confirm with what we already feel. Maybe we'll accidentally stumble across an article that says something that challenges us, and we will quickly move past to something that, that continues to reaffirm what we already believe. Hypothetically, of course, that's probably not true of any of us in here. But we're wringing our hands like, God, what's going to happen on Tuesday? He doesn't, he's not worried about it. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows the outcome of this election. He knows the outcome of every single ballot measure. He's not wringing his hands. And guess what, guys? That's not because he knows that your candidate is going to win. The fact of the matter is, 
your candidate losing may be exactly how he wants to bring about his purpose and his plans. Heaven forbid. God is working out his plans for the world, not just for the, the country of America in 2020. And his will may not be your will. His ways may not be your ways. I think I've heard a scripture that says something like that. I think for a moment about how God uses uh, circumstances. I think about the Israelites during the time of Moses living in captivity still in Egypt, right? For 400 years, they've lived in Egypt. For the last several hundred, they've been slaves. And I imagine them sitting around a campfire at night, nursing aching backs and raw fingers from making bricks that day. And talking about how God just absolutely moved when it came um, to, to Joshua. Not Joshua. Who am I talking about here? Joseph, right? Joseph. The other J. Remember Joseph? Remember how, how God used brothers who were jealous of him to get him to be sold into slavery so that God could get him to Egypt in the first place. And remember how he was falsely accused of making advances on his master's wife to get him arrested that got him into place so that God could ultimately elevate him to the second most powerful position in all the land. God's amazing, isn't he? Remember how God, or how, how, how he said, you know, brothers, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. Remember how he said that, man, God is awesome. But then they start looking at their own circumstances, and they start looking at the Pharaoh that resides in, in power in Egypt in that moment. And they begin to compare him to the Pharaoh that was in power when Joseph first showed up on the scene. Because the first Pharaoh had welcomed the Israelites with open arms and said, you are my guests in this country because of my respect for this man, Joseph. <laughs> but, but, but then they looked at the Pharaoh that they had in that moment, and they go, this guy has a far cry from that Pharaoh. This Pharaoh doesn't look at us as guests. He's enslaved us. And if they had a vote, they would certainly not vote for this Pharaoh. If anything, they might vote for somebody like a, a Moses who could lead them out of slavery. But listen to the words that God speaks through Moses to the Pharaoh that sat on the throne in that moment. He says this, By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you for this very purpose. That I might show my power in and through you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So the Israelites looking at their Pharaoh and going, dude, that guy is not God's, you know, candidate for office. He should not be in power. And God goes, oh, no, 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 no. He is exactly who I want there for this time because I'm going to glorify myself through him. As hard-hearted as he is, as, as contrary to my heart as he is. So may I, and this is not going to be a popular position, but may I simply remind you that your candidate may not win, and that doesn't mean that God loses if that's the case, because God doesn't operate according to our values, 
And we all have in our minds who we want to see be in power. And we might be surprised at how different our perspectives are from other people we're in community with, and that's okay. The reason we get to be the body of Christ isn't because we agree on this. It's because we agree in the one that we call our Lord. It's not Donald Trump. It is not Joe Biden. It's not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. It is Jesus Christ and his kingdom that is coming in and through us as we submit our will to him. Ooh, I got a clap from Anne. Come on. No, you don't have, that doesn't mean you have to. Don't be guilted into it because she's doing that. Bunch of lemmings. My goodness. That wasn't nice. I'm sorry. I take that back. <sighs> one other thing that I want to warn you about, because I think one of the things we, we falsely buy into as believers is that if we are faithful to Jesus and we follow him, God will protect us from discomfort. He will protect us from persecution. And some of us right now are looking at what's gone on over the course of this year with the coronavirus and the lockdowns and, and the fact that like half of us are here and half of us are at home. And, and we're going, God, where are you in this? Kind of like the Israelites sitting around that campfire going, why this person in, on the throne, right? God, where are you? Following Jesus does not promise that our lives will be painless. Following Jesus does not promise that we will not be persecuted. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus straight up looked at his disciples on the night that he was going to be arrested. The very next day, he knew he was going to bleed out on a cross for us. And he said, guys, you will be persecuted. If they persecuted me, they're going to do it to you. Just want to warn you, be ready. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But you can take heart in the fact that I've overcome the world. Meaning that the persecution you endure, the discomfort you endure, the pain that you are enduring right now in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, socially, that doesn't get the last word. He does. That's the hope that we have that keeps us going in the midst of a world that is pushing against us and saying everything you believe in is poppycock. Sorry, that's a word that I've never used in my entire life, but there you go. <laughs> Certainly wasn't in my notes, but it's poppycock, which sounds more delicious than the word actually means, right? Whatever. It's bunk. It's ridiculous. To think that we are going to live easy, carefree lives is, is we're deluding ourselves. But unfortunately, that is the kind of American gospel we love to preach because we love to be comfortable. We have made an idol of our comfort. And Jesus says, you need to let it go. You need to break down the golden calf of your comfort because that is not what I have called you to be. I've called you to be a people who live differently than the world around you. I've called you to be a people that don't just slap somebody when they slap you, whether it's physically or verbally. I've called you to be a people who turn the other cheek and pray for those who persecute you. That's what you're called to do as my people because you represent me. And the places we see in the world where the gospel is advancing the fastest are the places where persecution is the harshest. Places like China. Places like the Middle East. Places where people are dying for their faith and being disowned for their faith. I'm sorry, guys, but we don't understand persecution. Not in that sense. Not yet, at least. And what if, here, this is going to be really un unpopular, what if 
what God wants to do actually requires that things get less comfortable for us, not more comfortable. What if God's purpose and plans extends beyond simply the temporary leader of our country for the next four years? What if what God wants to do is going to require that the other person that you're voting against is not the one who wins? What if we are going to endure more persecution, and that's not because God lost, but because his plans are not ours, and he is working out his purpose and his plans in this world, in and through us? Do we trust him enough to follow him through the dark valley, even if it gets really, really scary? You can think about that. You don't have to answer. Think about it. Do you trust him enough to walk through the dark valley, not just the green pasture? So here's the point, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I want to encourage you strongly. Today, tomorrow, Tuesday, go to the poll. Elect your temporary leader for our temporary land. But do not forget that this country is not our primary identity. We are not Americans who happen to believe in Jesus. We are Christ followers citizens of the kingdom of God who happen to live in America. But that doesn't give us the right just to disregard everything going on in America, to turn a blind eye to it. God invites us to follow Jesus' example and use what he has entrusted to us, our vote, our privileges, our voice, our stuff, and say, help yourself to it, that I might live as an ambassador of your kingdom in the midst of this kingdom even if your values are so radically different from the values of the world I see celebrated all around me. Because way too many people live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And our goal is not to be like them because their stomach is the one that determines their actions. Don't let your whims, your desires, your hungers dictate yours. And don't forget don't forget that. I'm so ADHD right now. Do not forget that regardless of what happens on Tuesday and in the coming months, because there may be some fallout in this whole thing, it might get uglier, not better on Wednesday. Do not forget that regardless of what happens in this election, in every election from between now and when Jesus comes back, that God is still on the throne. And it doesn't matter who's sitting in the Oval Office or who's sitting in Sacramento. Jesus is our Lord. We follow his example. We are about doing his will on this earth. Not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. Neither of those parties perfectly represent his heart. So may we not hold on to them as if they are our saviors. May we hold on to him. Keep our eyes fixed on him. May his will be done. Father God, we entrust our country into your hands. We entrust our state into your hands. We entrust our city into your hands. We entrust our families into your hands. May your will be done. Even if this path ahead is not going to get more comfortable in 2021, even if it's going to get more difficult, we choose to follow you. We place our faith in you. Have your way in us. Would you be glorified? May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name.
Amen. Let's worship our true Lord.
I just can't help but think as we sing that song uh, that every aspect of our lives is an act of worship. Not just the singing of that song. We don't just worship between the hours of 10 a.m. and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. Trusting Jesus is an act of worship. Embracing his values, even when they conflict with the values of the world around us, is an act of worship. Turning the other cheek is an act of worship. 
giving even when we don't know you know where the, where the next paycheck's going to come from is an act of worship it's a declaration of trust bringing our brokenness to the foot of the cross and saying i don't deserve you is an act of worship because none of us deserve him and yet he loves us anyway he longs to be with us. And we get to now go and worship him as we walk out of here this morning. If you have a prayer request, we want to know. You can drop it in the bucket in the back. There's those white buckets where you can also put your tithe and your offering. But if, if you're online and you're watching us, you can just email pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. We want to pray with you for the things that you're carrying. There's not a single person here who has it all together. Not a single person whose life is in order. So do not think that we're going to judge you. If anything, we're going to join you and go, oh, I can identify with that. Let's pray together. When you walk out of here today, maybe you'll see Jackie in the foyer and you want to just be able to help provide a turkey or an entire turkey dinner for a family. You can, she'll be out in the foyer. You can do that. This week and every week leading up to Thanksgiving. But may we worship him just as much beyond these walls as we do within him. Because now we get to go and be the church. We don't just go to church. You know what I mean? So, hot Father God, have your way in us. Jesus, be glorified in us. Father, we pray that your will would be done in this election. We pray that your will would be done beyond this election. We pray, Father, that we, your children, would so brightly reflect your heart into this world that although there's a lot of people with very selfish motivations, our lives would expose them. You would be glorified. And most importantly, Father, may your kingdom advance regardless of what happens to America or any other country on this planet. May your kingdom transcend it. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Have a wonderful week. together.